2: Welcome to Paranormal Thoughts Podcast, and as always, thanks for joining me. In this episode, we're looking at the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident. Just before we get into that though, I just want to say if you enjoy this podcast, please make sure you subscribe. Also, if you know of anyone who might enjoy Paranormal Thoughts Podcast, please feel free to share it onto them. It really does help. We're on Facebook and Instagram. We have a blog, which is paranormalthoughtspodcast.wordpress.com. Jump on there because I'm going to post a bunch of extra video and audio and so on for relating back to this episode. And finally, we're on Patreon as well. So If you enjoy Paranormal Thoughts, you want to help support us, you can jump on there. There's a few different tiers. You can get episodes early, bonus content, and just overall help support the podcast, and it really does help. So with that, let's get into this episode. The Rendlesham UFO incident has been something I've been probably researching for the last two or three weeks or so. Like a lot of these topics, you know, I touch on here on Paranormal Thoughts podcast. You know, they're past interests from a long time ago, and then I'll kind of pick a particular aspect or topic within the paranormal and then kind of go pretty heavy on the research for maybe, you know, a week or so, two weeks probably at the maximum. But with this case, I didn't quite realise I was getting myself into. When I started to look back into Rendlesham, I was looking into it uh, last year, probably because it was uh, the 40th anniversary of the case, Um, you know, not even six months ago. And now I've decided to really... Spend a bit of time and look into it, and it's one of those stories where you could summarise it in about two minutes. But if you want to get into those really juicy details, that's you know when you need something like this, which is a little bit more long form. But it really did surprise me about all the ins and outs, and it seems very simple. But the more I looked into it, the more complex it seemed to get. And I've been racking my head around doing this for you know the last week or so, and I just couldn't. I was just wasn't quite ready yet to come on here and I guess explain to you my understanding of what went on back in the early 80s. In terms of ufology, this case is very prevalent and it is referenced time, time again. As I said, it just turned 40 years old. And it's one of those funny situations where I feel like we don't know anything more than what we kind of did in the early 80s. So it's still there's still a lot of mystery around it. This all took place during the Cold War in 1980 in Suffolk, England. During this time, the US were using two British RAF bases. Those are RAF Woodbridge and RAF Bentwaters. These bases were in very close proximity. The only thing dividing them was the Rendlesham Forest. This event took place on December 26, 1980, in the very early hours of the morning, just outside RAF Woodbridge. John Burrows was a young patrol sergeant, and on this morning of December 26, he was guarding RAF Woodbridge's east gate. Burroughs happened to look over the Rendlesham Forest and notice flashing lights hovering in the sky. Not knowing what these lights were, he decided to go and inform the base of security. Jim Pennison, a security policeman, believed the lights could have been an aircraft crash landing. Now, obviously, this being during the Cold War, the men were very on edge to exactly what these lights could have been indicating. Was it American? Was it British? Or was it, you know, the Soviets? So this caused a little bit of alarm throughout the base, and they sent out a security alert. Burroughs, Pennison, and a third officer got clearance to go out into the forest and investigate. Now, obviously, this being in England, the Americans don't actually have any jurisdiction over this forest, so hence why they had to get clearance in order to actually go out there and investigate. By the time the men arrived at what was believed to be the crash site, the time was 3 a.m. When they did arrive, it didn't take them long to realise they weren't dealing with anything they'd ever encountered before. The first thing they noticed was it wasn't a crash site, whatever these lights were in the sky earlier were now on the forest floor. As Pennison got closer to the lights, he saw a craft. This craft was 6 feet high by 12 feet long. Pennison describes the craft as being triangular in shape. One key factor was the circular dome that was in the middle of the triangle, almost like an eye. When you look at representations with it's sculpture, drawings and so on, it's definitely a key attribute with this craft. The men reported as they got closer to the craft, things began to get stranger. This included radio interference. With their radios, they were no longer able to communicate back to the base. So the third officer they had with them, they sent him a little bit out of the forest, they could communicate to him and he could then communicate back to the base. They also remembered the air feeling different. It was almost like electricity was all through the air. They explained it was almost like a force, like there was something there that they couldn't see. Jim Penderson was quite an expert when it came to aircraft and the craft that he was seeing right in front of him, he had no recollection of. One thing he mentions is he couldn't actually see the propulsion system. It was definitely far beyond any technology we had here on Earth. The men then relayed the message back to the base that the craft was non-hostile. So Jim Penderson had a notebook with him and at this stage pulls it out and starts sketching the craft. He also, on close inspection, realises that the craft is sitting on a tripod. And there's these strange markings all around the craft as well. Pennison gets close enough to the craft where he can actually reach out and touch it. And he touches these markings on the side. And he explains that he gets a telepathic message of ones and zeros. He says it was really intense and it was almost like a bright light kind of completely engulfed him as well. After touching the craft, the light intensified. Then with no noise, the craft began to ascend. Something that Pennison wrote in his notebook was speed impossible. Now, as I mentioned earlier, a security alert was put out to the base because they weren't really sure what they were dealing with. So there's a bunch of people on standby and probably heading out to the forest themselves as well. So at this time that the craft descended and took off at an incredible speed, over 80 military personnel on the base saw whatever this craft was leave the forest. So the men head back and they're a bit reluctant to tell their superiors exactly what happened because... You know, obviously, what they saw was pretty unbelievable. But they do get their statement. And obviously, at this point now, with all these other people seeing something strange the night before, the base is pretty much filled with rumors about what had happened. That following morning, police were called to the site, and they found three indentations in the ground in the shape of a triangle. They didn't believe that there was enough evidence there to hint that something like a a UFO could have landed there that night. They believed that it was from uh, rabbits burrowing. But then when Pennison commented on this, he said that the ground was frozen solid, that there was no chance of indentations being made by any wildlife out there that night, that it must have been from something with a fair significant amount of weight to actually have pierced the ground. It's also worth mentioning that apparently these three markings were measured to be a perfect equilateral triangle as well. Now, one man who worked on the base who didn't really have time for all the speculation, all the speculation of lights in the sky and craft landing, was Deputy Commander Charles Holt. Now, he really wanted to put all these rumours to bed and just kind of get on with the work that was needed to be done there at the base. The funny thing was that Commander Holt didn't have to wait very long in order to have his own experience. So in the early hours of December 28, Commander Charles Holt got word that the lights were back. Holt got a team together and they went out into the forest to find the supposed landing site. Now, while out there, the men had some Geiger counters and were actually testing for radiation. And apparently they actually did get some levels of radiation that was above normal. They also noticed the indentation that was in the shape of the equilateral triangle as well. And also noticed that some of the trees had branches missing and also damage to the trees as well, but only facing inwards towards the landing site. While out in the forest, the search party witnessed glowing red and orange lights in the sky that appeared to be coming from a craft. The shape of the craft matching what Pennison reported. Next thing, the craft appeared not to be alone. Multiple crafts appeared in the sky. One so much as flying over the base and shining a beam of light into the weapons locker. Now, the reason why this is very interesting is because, supposedly, this has never actually come out on record, and for a good reason why it hasn't, the US was supposedly keeping nuclear weapons there at RAF Woodbridge. Obviously keeping that very quiet from the UK government, as their treaty agreement was that the US could not keep any nuclear weapons within the United Kingdom. So Holt would carry around with him a mini tape recorder, which could record for up to 20 minutes. And this would have to be one of the first times that anyone had ever actually pulled out a recorder and record themselves witnessing a UFO sighting. Here's some of that audio now.
3: 150 feet or more from the initial, I should say, suspected impact point. In cover, we take some readings together the and uh, we've got very positive readings. see, is that here the center? Yes, it is. This is yeah, what we would assume be, would be no? the dead center. Just thinking thing. about more as you go along the whole in you know, Looks like an abrasion on the now, uh, I've never seen a tree that's, uh, never seen a pine tree that's been damage react that fast. There's a round abrasion on the tree about uh, three and a half inches in diameter. Very strange. We are getting an indication of a heat source coming out of that center spot. You just saw a like light where? up there. Where? 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 Right at this position here, straight ahead in between the tree. There it is again. Watch, the right head yeah. off my flash right there, yeah, right. There it is. Hey, oh, yeah, I see it, too. What is it? We don't know, sir. So you it. Yeah, it's a strange, small red light. Looks yeah. to looks out maybe a quarter to a half mile maybe before they're out. So the light is gone now. It was approximately 120 degrees from the site. Yeah. Is it back again? Yes, sir. There is no doubt about it. there's some type of strange flashing red light ahead. There's yellow. I saw a yellow tinge in it, too. Weird. It, 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 it appears to be maybe be moving a little bit this way. It's, it's brighter than it has been. Yeah. It's coming this way. Also it is left. definitely coming this way. Pieces of it are shooting off. There is no doubt about it. This is weird. To the left. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Two, two lights. One two two light to the front, okay. one light to the left. Keep flashlights off. It just moved to the right. Yeah. Off the right. Strange. Okay, we're looking at the thing, we're probably about two to three hundred yards away. It looks like an eye winking at you. It's still moving from side to side. And when you put the star scope on it, 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 sort, of, it sort of has a hollow serre, a dark serre. It's, it's you know, like a pupil of an eye looking at you and winking. And the flash is so bright to the star scope that uh, it almost burns your eye. We're seeing strange lights in the sky. Okay. Hey, here, here, he comes from the south. He's coming toward us now. Yes. Now we're observing what appears to be a beam coming down to the ground. Zero three thirty, 330 and the objects are still in the sky, although the one to the south looks like it's losing a little bit of altitude. We're turning around heading back toward a, the base. The object, to the, south, the object to the south is still beaming down lights to the ground. It's over 4, 400 hours. One object is still hovering over Woodbridge Base at about
2: 5 to 10 degrees off the horizon, still moving erratic and similar lights and beaming down. Now, after this event, Holt obviously goes back and writes up a report for his superiors. And this is really fascinating because this is the first time that we have any evidence of someone who works for the American government at such a high regard, admitting to seeing something that he believes was a UFO. This report was written and then the American government decided to give it over to the British government as they were in England and didn't really have any jurisdiction over what was going to happen next. So for the next three years, nothing was said. But then in 1983, a whistleblower leaked the story which then later led to a Freedom of Information Act, where Holt's full report was released. Now, just to recap here, a bunch of military personnel for the American government witnessed the lights in the sky, a select few getting close enough to a craft where they could touch it, and then a deputy commander also witnessing a craft in the sky with other military men, recording his reaction in real time on a recorder, and then writing a report and submitting it. This is definitely unheard of and nothing like this has really happened since. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price.
0: Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the
3: perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen
2: It's interesting. Rendlesham is often compared to Roswell, and I haven't actually done an episode on Roswell. I think it's definitely something I should open up. But, you know, that was in 1947, considered to be America's, I suppose, its biggest UFO, or at least the catalyst UFO event that sort of led to everything. But there is nowhere near as much evidence as there is with Rendlesham some years later. Now, this sounds like the perfect case, doesn't it? How are we going to disprove this? Many military men witnessed something, you know, at the stake of losing their job or, you know, I guess being ridiculed or losing their job. It's, you know, quite a surreal thing that they have gone on record and actually reported this. Uh, But of course, a cover-up seemed to also become very involved as well. It seems like parts of Pennison's report were actually left out the British government didn't find any reason to investigate any further. They believed that whatever took place was at no no level of threat and was not worth pursuing any further, which is quite concerning when a bunch of military personnel have reached out and said, this is exactly what has happened. Even the fact of this isn't extraterrestrial and was something from the Soviets, you'd think during the Cold War, that would be a pretty big red alarm, that There's something that was in our airspace and also, you know, having had landed that we're not familiar with and shouldn't have been there. So there's been a lot of debunking of the Rendlesham Forest incident. And I think all these things, you know, collectively do actually build quite a strong case. But I'm going to get to why all these things could play a part, but they don't actually explain exactly what had happened over those few nights or few early hours of the morning. Now, there's a lighthouse overlooking the ocean, quite a short distance away from the military base, and you could actually see the lighthouse at night if you were in the Rendlesham Forest. So bunkers have gone out there, and I'll post a link on the blog for this, so you can actually see what the lighthouse looks like in the Rendlesham Forest, and it does have quite an eerie kind of look to it. If you weren't familiar that it was a lighthouse, you'd probably think there was something strange out in the forest, but it's saying that, it's going to appear in the exact same spot constantly. Uh, It's not going to move up or down or, you know, fly off at a ridiculous speed or anything like that. Um, I think some of the men in the forest over those nights could have actually seen the lighthouse and maybe mistaken it for something. But there's other parts of the story which we've, you know, touched on that don't make sense that it was a lighthouse. Also, on the early evening of the 25th, the Russian Cosmos 749 rocket re-entered over northwest Europe and was widely reported as a UFO. Also, the early hours of December 26, a meteor was seen over southern England. Could a rocket and a meteor be mistaken for a UFO? Of course, they're unusual things to look up and see in the night sky, but it might account for some of the lights in the sky. But a landed craft, you kind of can't argue with that. Now, apparently, there's some reports of radar actually picking up whatever this craft was. But from the research, I've found that there's no evidence of that. Or if there was, that evidence was removed or destroyed before researchers could actually get to it. Now, this is a very interesting part of the Rendlesham story. So as I mentioned earlier, when Pennison touched the craft, he touched those symbols and got that flash of ones and zeros. Now, Pennison wasn't familiar with binary. Keep in mind, this is 1980. Computers for the average consumer are still a little while away. Penderson reported some years after the fact. He didn't want to say this at the time. After that event, he kept seeing these ones and zeros in his mind. The only thing he could think to stop it was to actually write it out. So he sat there in the same notebook and actually wrote out these ones and zeros. He then closed the notebook and put it away. And then some years later, he actually got the notebook out. A researcher questions him about what that was. And he said, oh, no, I don't know, there's just some ones and zeros that... I saw after seeing the craft, and they got them translated by a computer expert. So this is where it gets wild. That binary translated into this. Exploration of humanity. Continuous for planetary advance. Eyes of our eyes. Origin year, 8100. The next numbers gave geographical coordinates to places such as the pyramids in Egypt, the Nazca Lines in Peru, and the Temple of Apollo in Greece. These places are seen as sites of worship and power and also sites that researchers believe have had ancient alien involvement. I mean, when I uh, read about that and also then heard Pennison talking about this binary code, it's kind of like the smoking gun in a sense. Once again, could be definitely faked. You know, he could have come up with this after the fact. And also the binary was not mentioned um, prior um, when he made his original report or anything like that as well. Um, So this could definitely be something after the fact. But if it's not that's pretty insane. Peninson does go on to say that he believes what was in that craft or what, you know, that craft's origin was from wasn't extraterrestrial but was actually terrestrial and was actually us from the future. Hence the year 8100. There's also another man who has a very interesting account and I'm not going to get too much into it because I'm not really sure where to stand with it and it's it's hard to really I don't really want to get too involved in it because a lot of people disprove or discredit this man. This man is Larry Warren. And he believes that he saw a craft as well during that time at Rendlesham with other military men. And he actually saw beings. And when I first heard that, I got really excited and I wasn't familiar with that story, a part of Rendlesham. I was like, oh, holy shit. I didn't realize beings were seen out in the forest in the UK or anything like that. And then when I kind of started to read his report, I kind of see why people have discredited him. And also no one else can sort of vouch for his story, even though there was other people with him. They have not come forward and said that this has happened. Um, Literally just from listening to him talk about the report, it seems like he is kind of pulling things out of thin air, potentially. Larry Warren has sort of gone on to write books and so on and sort of tried to, I don't know, I guess make a bit of a crust off what apparently had happened to him. And not to say that uh, Jim Pennison hasn't done the same thing either, though. Jim Pennison, he does come across as someone who didn't really want to get too involved. He just kind of did his bit and sort of shut up about the whole thing. But then I believe in the 90s, he did actually come forward and start to speak about this. And since he has written a book and, you know, does do interviews and so on. So probably also gaining from his experience, but at the same time, not quite the same. Um, and there is, you know, people who can vouch for that he was actually there, and so on. It's even said that Larry Warren was actually nowhere near Rendlesham potentially at that time. It's, it's, it's it really weird. And I kind of don't want to muddy the waters, which are already pretty muddied anyway. So I think I'm just going to leave that out. But definitely, you feel free to go and do your own research and that, um, and you know, let me know if you actually do find anything of significance. So definitely, with this case, there's a lot there in a sense you know, when you sort of break it down, it does seem quite simple, but there's just a lot of ins and outs. And the fact that it kind of happened over the span of, you know, a few nights and then kind of nothing again, it's it's definitely odd. But I think one of the biggest things is uh, if the American government did have nuclear weapons there at Woodbridge, which is, it's very, most people agree that they were there, but they just can't actually admit to it. The fact that these craft Seemed interested in the base, uh, and also, you know, one craft actually shining some sort of tractor beam light over where the weapons would have been being kept. Definitely does play into the thing that extraterrestrials or whatever these craft are associated with are definitely interested in our weaponry, uh, definitely when it's nuclear as well. And as I've spoken about on this podcast many a times, it does seem that nuclear weapons will probably be the thing to potentially end us if, you know, global warming and so on doesn't. And extraterrestrials do seem to want to keep life here on Earth thriving, because I do believe that they are somehow involved in, you know, our civilization actually succeeding, whether or not they're God, or they've somehow been a part of our genetic line as well through evolution, or what kind of have you, it does seem like they have interest their best interest is for us to succeed. And it definitely seems like there was that sort of era where nuclear weapons and UFO sightings seem to go hand in hand. The thing with this case is there's a lot of there's a lot of arguing, I suppose, on both sides. There was a lot of trying to disprove what happened. And I think that's always a very healthy thing, but it's hard when um when you read these research papers and people have said, no, nah, it was just a lighthouse, it was just a comet, nothing landed. But um, Unless you have people hallucinating, you know, who are guarding nuclear weapons, uh, it's quite concerning that that could be what was happening. Yes, and I do agree, people probably did see the lighthouse, people probably did see a comet and so on. And it probably did add to the hysteria and uh, all the excitement that was going on um, in that late December. But people seeing craft uh, up close moving in such maneuvers that I've never seen before. And then um, these men going and reporting that to their superiors and uh, us then having evidence of that now uh, that we've gotten our hands on is pretty hard to disprove that, you know, something didn't happen out there, in my opinion. It's definitely a fascinating case. And it's a shame that we haven't really gotten anything more out of it, because I feel like if maybe if more people would have come forward or even would have come forward now, we can maybe get a little bit more understanding. Um, but as I said, it does sound like there was a bit of a cover-up involved as well, so that does make it very difficult. Um, you know, if people don't want this information to get out, they're going to do everything they sort of can to make sure nothing else does. And we're just kind of left with this very interesting story. And now you can actually go out to the Rendlesham Forest and there is a UFO statue built out there. they call called, like, the UFO Trail. It's definitely become very well-known. So, I guess I'm at that point now where I usually give my thoughts, uh, everyone's favorite part, I'm sure. And I definitely think something went on out there for sure. i d- I do believe um that a craft was spotted was seen up close. The binary is very interesting. If that actually did happen word for word, as Jim Penderson has said, I find that that is some very strong, interesting, evidence that we've come across there, especially lining up with some very interesting historical sites and even just the the uh, exploration of humanity and so on. It's, it's very odd and seems maybe a little bit far-fetched for someone like Jim Penderson to create, potentially. You know, you never say never, but but it sounds of it, he didn't really want a ton to do this. He was just kind of doing his military job and was just, you know, like a, everyone else doesn't really want to get too caught up in this stuff, really, realistically. So I definitely think there's a lot of evidence to say that something did happen. This is a very well-reported happening. And a lot of people have, you know, done podcasts and have done videos on this. And when there's so many different um, sources of information, the story does change as well. So even from just doing research, the amount of the inconsistencies just with how someone will tell the story. And I'm sure I've done some as well. I try to find the best sources I can and kind of pick the parts that keep re-recurring so I know that what's been reported actually did happen. But this one's a bit tricky because there's a lot of facets and you could really spend a lot of time even just looking at, you know, I guess the character of Jim Pennison or even John Burroughs or Colonel Holt. You could really spend a lot of time and actually do a lot of backstory research into exactly what they've reported and so on. But this is kind of like an overall my understanding of what happened out there in the Reynoldsham Forest back in 1980. I'd definitely love to know what you guys think. This case has definitely taken over my life the last couple weeks and I'm kind of a little bit glad to let go of it in a sense because it has been very consuming in a good way though but I think it's hard when uh, it definitely takes a bit of a toll when you're, when you want to believe what you're reading but then also you're sort of finding these inconsistencies as well. I think what we're still left with after people trying to disprove what happened, and that's always a healthy thing to do, and I'm completely for that, I think what we're left with is still a very credible, up-close UFO sighting. Guys, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you're subscribed and share it with anyone else you might think would enjoy Paramount podcast. As I said earlier, we're on Facebook and Instagram. Jump on the Patreon if you want to help support the podcast and get extra content. I'm going to leave you there with that. That was the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident. Thank you guys so much. I'll catch you in another podcast episode real soon. Thanks. Bye.